You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. All right, good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Man, there is a buzz in this room. It is good to be with you. If we have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Sam. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And uh, welcome to East Point Church. We are a family of faith. We are a community that is brought together by the fact that the thing that we most hold in common is the fact that God has saved us. He has brought us into his family. Not because you deserve it. Not because I deserve it. We don't but because he's full of grace and love and mercy. And we often go, why do you love us, God? And he says, just because I do. And so welcome. You are loved. You are loved. And we are glad that you are here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. We have been going on a journey. We have been going on a journey through the book of Philippians. We started this in January, verse by verse. And today it is time to say goodbye. We are ending, and so go ahead and open up your Bibles to the final chapter of our series. And as you turn there, I I wonder, do you ever think about what it was like to grow up? Some of you are like, I'm still growing up. I know, I know. But do you ever think about what it was like in your childhood? Where'd you grow up? What your family dynamics were like? Who your friends were? What were some of the, the major events in your life? What was it like growing up? And so I reflect on that, and and as I reflect on it, I could say this statement about growing up. We did not have a lot of money, period. We we did not have a lot of money. I grew up in New York City, Lower East Side of Manhattan, and we just didn't have a lot of money. But here's what's crazy. When I was growing up, I had no idea. I had no idea until I was well on my way in life that I looked back and I go, oh, We didn't have a lot. And so it wasn't until I was older that I realized not every kid got to have a free lunch at school. I had no idea. I just thought that was normal. I didn't realize I was a free lunch kid, right? It's cool. I didn't realize until I got to college that it was not normal for you to get big boxes of Christmas gifts at Christmas from strangers in Texas who would write you letters and send you gifts saying, here's how much Jesus loves you. It wasn't until I was in college and I saw a commercial saying, can you donate and, you know, send less privileged kids gifts? And I was like, oh, snap. I was that kid. I had no idea. I didn't realize that not everybody had health insurance that was only accepted at certain places because we were on state health insurance. I had no idea. No idea. I had no idea that when my mom was walking all three of our little, all three of us little kids, when she was walking us all up and down the island of Manhattan, I just thought we were on an adventure. I just thought we were like, you know, like pioneers and trailblazers all over the city. No, we only had one car, and Dad took it to work every day. I had no idea. You see, I did not have a lot of money, and yet we had no clue. And here's why. It's because my parents, who were and who are followers of Jesus, my parents knew the secret about money. Do you know the secret about money? My parents knew the secret about money. And so we didn't have a lot of it, and yet I I just didn't realize this. Because as a little kid, my home was not dripping with stress. 
My parents, they didn't radiate despair or worry. Like when you walked into my home, you couldn't feel the financial anxiety. We had no idea. No idea. As a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. My parents, they created such a strong home of contentment. As a little kid, I'd be like, we're good. We got everything we need. My parents, they were people of joy. Man, if you knew my parents, my Puerto Rican mother and my Italian father, you're just like, just joyful people. My parents were extremely generous. They are some of the most generous people I know in my life. And now that I'm an adult, I look back and I'm like, how were you so generous when you had so little? Like, like those kind of people, you know? I had no idea. And the reason why they were generous is because they knew the secret about money. They knew the secret. Today, as we wrap up our series here, we're in the final section of the book of Philippians, our series called Unfinished, and it's been a journey. And how many of you can say, God spoke to me on this journey, right? How many of you say, man, I now understand this book a little bit better because God has illuminated, he has opened the eyes of my heart, and I'm like, wow, I feel like he was speaking right to me. Anybody there? Every time we journey through this book, we will be changed, and this journey is no different. And so we come to the end, and Paul, he's starting to tighten up the ink on his ink bottles, and he's putting them on his, on his shelf there in his prison cell, and, and he comes up, and before he lets us go here, he writes a closing. He writes the conclusion and as he writes this conclusion, right, as he signs off, he is going to give us, the people of God, those of us in this room who say, I want to learn how to live for Jesus, he's just going to give us just one more lesson. And these final verses, he is going to teach us the secret about money. And so here it is. If you would, read with me. We're going to be in chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I'm going to read the whole thing. Then we'll pray, and then we'll go to the screen and break it down. And so if you have it, go ahead and open up your Bibles there. If you're on your phone, you can scroll over to the ESV. That's what we read from here, so you can follow along. But here's God's word for East Point Church, starting in chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word for our church. Let's pray. Father, as we open up this word, 
we invite you to speak to us. God, I pray that you would birth people in faith today, Lord, that you would create and recreate your people through the proclamation of your word. This is a supernatural book, and so we expect you, Lord, to speak to us supernaturally. Be with us, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word, and Lord, I pray that you would send us from here different than when we came in. May we be more like Jesus as a result of sitting under the word this morning. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. All right, let's break this down. Let's go back to the top and let's see what we have here. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pause there. And so we know that Paul is in trouble. He's sitting in prison. He's broke. He does not have a lot. He's in a tough spot. And yet the first thing that he wants us to know is that our financial condition doesn't determine our heart's contentment. Our financial condition doesn't determine our heart's contentment. He's sitting here in prison, and yet he is rejoicing, even in his prison cell, because Epaphroditus has brought him a generous financial gift. And so the Philippians, they're over there in Greece, and they have heard, hey, Paul's in trouble. Paul's in need. Paul needs some money. He needs to eat. And so they pool together their resources. They take an offering. They give the gift to Epaphroditus. And he goes on this long journey. And he shows up all the way in Rome. And he says, hey, Paul, we love you. We care about you. And we collected this for you. Here's a gift. We wanted to do something about this, Paul. Here's a gift. And so Paul, he says, thank you. Thank you for your concern. You were always concerned for me. I know that you were indeed concerned for me, but now that I'm in a tough spot, you have a new opportunity. This situation has afforded you the opportunity to demonstrate your concern. So thank you. I'm rejoicing. How many of you would rejoice if you got a large check in the mail tomorrow that you weren't expecting? And, the, and God's people said, amen. Right? Anonymous check from across the country. You're like, you better believe I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Thank you for that gift. But, but he wants to be clear. He says, thank you for the gift. Yes, I appreciated your financial gift. But let me be super clear. Your fi- my, my financial situation does not determine my contentment. Yes, my sincerest thank you, but please do not mistake my appreciativeness for a lack of contentment. When I received your gift, the condition of my heart was not desperate need, right? Don't confuse my gratitude for a heart that was filled with fearful concern. I'm not speaking out of being in need here. Thank you, but I'm still content. How many of you know that if you get a check in the mail like that, you're just going to say, thank you, period. <laughs> right? There's no but. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you, period. That's what most of us would do. But not Paul. 
You see, because Paul, he is teaching them, he is teaching us how to live a Christ-centered life. And so he takes everything that happens as an opportunity to teach us, here's how you live a Christ-centered life. Everything is an opportunity to learn, even money. And so here he is in this situation. He just received this awesome gift And instead of just writing a thank you note and slipping it in the mail, he can't help himself because this situation is ripe with lessons. This situation is ripe with things that we can learn about the nature of life and about following Jesus. And so Paul, he can't help himself here. He has to take advantage and class is in session. And he goes, let me teach you something here. And I'm so glad that he did, because our situation, right, as humans in 2022, it is so easy for the amount of money in our bank account to directly impact the amount of joy in our hearts. It's so easy, the amount of money we have in our bank accounts, the the stock market, our net worth so often determines the level of contentment in our heart and in our homes, And so think of it like this, if there were two thermometers, if we could somehow measure your financial situation, right, so often as the the condition of our finances moves up and down, our heart follows. And so when things are good, my heart is happy. When things are not, my contentment wanes. And what we try to do is we, we try to reverse engineer it. We go, man, I'm lacking contentment, so maybe if I affect my finances, then I can move the other one. Do you see that? The condition of my heart is so often affected by the condition of my finances. And Paul, he looks at these thermometers and he goes, not me. That's not my life. He goes, my financial situation does not determine my heart's contentment. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. I have learned that in whatever situation I am, whatever this thermometer is doing, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so if that thermometer is high, if it's low, if the fridge has plenty or if I'm experiencing hunger, if there's a great abundance or if I'm feeling a severe need, it doesn't affect my joy or my contentment. I don't feel desperate. I don't feel discontented because the bank account doesn't determine my joy. The ups and downs that we experience in life, he says, those no longer result in fearful concern. There is only genuine contentment. Because the condition of my finances doesn't determine the contentment of my heart. That's not normal, right? That's like, for real, Paul? How can you possibly say that? You're sitting penniless in prison, and you could honestly say that the ups and downs of your financial situation, that the abundance and the need, and all of these fluctuating, turbulent things in your life, you can honestly say that you're still good? That the contentment of your heart is solid? That's exactly what he's saying. He says, I am content no matter what. And it's because he has learned the secret. He has learned the secret about money. And he's applying it here. And so he can say with, with, a, with full conviction, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The heart that is set on Christ is always content. The heart that is set on Christ is always content. You see, Paul's contentment of his heart, it was not tied to this thermometer. His contentment is not tied to his situation. And so even though this fluctuates, this stays the same because 
there's actually a third thermometer. And so no matter what happens to his financial situation, no matter what happens to his net worth, no matter what happens to his stock portfolio, he says, my contentment is the same because it's tied to Christ. And so even though my finances change, the fact of God's care, the reality of his provision demonstrated through Jesus, that does not change. And so my contentment does not change because it's rooted in Jesus. Friends, think about it. Jesus Christ is the case and point of God's provision. He is exhibit A of God's care and concern. God has seen us. We are in deep need. We are spiritually poor. And yet God has moved toward us and he does for us what we couldn't do on our own. You see, friends, the reality is all of us need a free lunch to get into heaven. All of us don't have something to stand on for ourselves, spiritually speaking. And so when we come to God in our spiritual poverty, spiritual poverty, having nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven, nothing that we could do to be in God's family, no goodness of our own, even our most beautiful good works are like filthy rags. We're poor, spiritually speaking, and we see that God responds to our spiritual poverty. He comes and he provides, and he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he came, and he lived the perfect life of obedience, and then he gives us what that perfection deserves, to be called children of God. And so here I am, friends. I'm a child of God. I am his son, not because I had enough in the spiritual bank, but because Jesus provided for me out of the riches of his glory. And so when I reflect on the provision of God, when I reflect on how he treats me, seen in the face of Jesus, in his life and sacrifice, my heart is strengthened. I can face any situation. I can face hunger and need, highs and lows, whatever it is. The contentment of my heart will not be moved because when I see Jesus, I'm reminded that God provides for his family. God provides for his family. So here's the secret about money. I'm going to tell you the secret, friends. Don't tell anybody, except for those who are listening to this video online and those who read their Bibles, okay? Here's the secret about money. Money doesn't take care of you. God does. Money doesn't take care of me. God does. He who did not spare his own son for your sake, how will he not also give you all things? Do you think that the God who saw your spiritual need and literally rushed to earth and put on flesh to die in your place, do you think that that God, now when you come to him in need, is going to go, ah, you know, man, things are a little tight right now. He's already given us everything well, look at the glory of his riches. Look what he has poured out on us lavishly in Jesus Christ. How will he not also give us all things? And so, come what may, God's got me. God's got you. Those of you who are in Christ, he's got you. He gives you strength. And we do not need to lose our joy or our contentment when we realize that he is with me. He strengthens me. He sustains me. He provides for his family. God provides for his family. And so let's take some inventory. Let's look at the thermometers of our life. If we could measure our contentment, what is our contentment, the contentment of our heart tied to? 
Is it the fluctuating things of this world, right? When my portfolio is doing good, I'm happy. When the bank account is good, I'm happy. When people like me, when I have a lot of friends, I'm happy. When I'm performing well, I feel contentment. When I'm getting good grades, I feel solid. When my kids are behaving, I feel good. When my house is clean, I'm I'm doing good. What is the contentment of your heart tied to? Learn the secret. Learn the secret of a steady contentment that doesn't change in highs or lows. Set your heart on the unchanging goodness of God. Set your heart on the once and for all completed work of Christ. Set your heart on the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit. The condition of our finances does not determine the contentment of our hearts. And yet, Paul's here in prison, and they still sent him a gift. And yet, they sent him an extremely generous donation, and he says, and I rejoice in that. And here's why he rejoices in that. Let's move on. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul has received a generous gift from these people, and he rejoices because, number two, he knows that those who give are as blessed as those who receive. He's blessed. He has received an awesome gift, and he says, but I'm pumped for you because those who give are as blessed as those who received. He says, hey, let me be clear. I don't need it. I'm depending on God, not the gift. And so thank you for your gift, but my contentment is here, and yet I need to acknowledge what you did. You Philippians, you did share my trouble. I had a load to lift. I had a financial burden to carry, and you came, and you helped me shoulder that. Hashtag team lift. Don't do it alone. You got under there, and you helped me in my trouble. And he says, I'm not surprised. I am not surprised because from the earliest days of my ministry, from the very beginning of my travels, you entered into partnership with me. You treated me with such this special relationship that said, that said Paul, you give to us. You give of yourself. You give ministry. You give us your time. You're investing in us. And so we will, we're going to help you back. We are receiving and giving. And there's this beautiful symbiotic relationship between Paul and these people. He's traveling all over the world, and they say, we got you. He says, no church did that for me except you only. Except you only. You see, for all of his career, Paul has known it to be true that God provides for his family. No matter where he's at, he knows God provides for his family. But what he also knows is that often, very often, God provides for his family through his family. God often provides for his family 
through his family. This is how the family of God is supposed to work. He says, you helped me in my trouble. Do you remember all the way back at the beginning of our journey, we had the table set up? Remember the table? The Greek word, koinonia. Remember that one? And it meant the mutual participation, the shared experience. We are sitting at this table together. Our gospel community is like a family meal, and we're eating it together. And sometimes those shared experiences are happy. Sometimes those shared experiences are helpful. Sometimes those shared experiences are joy and Sunday mornings. But there are also times when we're experiencing at the table pain. There are times where the laughter at the table subsides and it's replaced by sobs. There are times where the rejoicing is replaced by mourning. And what we need to realize is that in those moments when you experience hardship in a gospel community, that is not the time to excuse yourself. Excuse me, I need to go deal with this by myself. No, gospel community, this is how the family of God is supposed to work. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. And we share the burden together in God's family, knowing that, yes, he provides for us, but often it's through each other. And so we share the burden. We share the pain. We share in the trouble. And sometimes the trouble is financial, isn't it? Pandemics happen. Inflation happens. Layoffs happen. And when those financial burdens come, the family of God is supposed to share in the trouble. This is why at East Point Church, here's how it works, right? We all give, right, throughout the week. Some of us give online. Some of you give in checks. Some of you give on the app. But we give, and we pull all of those resources together, and we put them in a bank account. In heaven? No, literally, at Bank of America. We have a bank account, East Point Church General Fund, right? And we take a percentage of that bank account, and we put it in a special fund called a benevolence fund. Do you know that? We have a team of leaders who meet with members of our church when the thermometer is low, when hardship strikes, and we have a team that helps these people, and oftentimes it's through generosity. And we pay electric bills, and we pay rent, and we buy grocery gift cards. Why? Because often the family of God is provided for through the family of God. This is how the family is supposed to work. This is what the Philippians did for Paul, and he was grateful. He was blessed. But I wonder if you see what I see here. As blessed as he is, right, as appreciative that he, as he is for receiving this gift, he almost seems more excited for the giver than he is to be the receiver, isn't he? He's excited here. He goes, hey, I am blessed, no doubt, but I am more excited for you because the gift benefits the giver as much as it benefits the receiver. And so look what he says here. He goes, man, you guys are blessed. I'm excited for you guys. And here's why. Number one, giving makes a difference. He says the impact, the immediate impact of your gift is obvious. I am well supplied. Thank you. You have made a difference right now. I have food on my table. But beyond the obvious, beyond the immediate impact, he says your gift is going to have fruit that increases. Your gift is going to have a lasting impact in the kingdom of God. Your contribution is going to make a difference in God's master plan. And you will be blessed as you look at the fruit, as you look at what God is doing, and you say, I got to be a part of that. 
I got to be a part of that work. And so imagine every single one of their gifts, every single one of your gifts, imagine it like a seed. And you plant that seed. You just plant that in the ground like a boss, right? Just, that's how you plant. You throw it into the ground really hard. I'm still learning the Eastern Shore thing. You throw it into the ground. Boom! You plant that. And that seed eventually sprouts, and it becomes a tree. And those trees produce branches, and those branches eventually yield fruit. And Paul is saying, as you watch the fruit ripen in the sunshine of eternity, you will be blessed as you realize that that fruit is to your credit. That fruit is in your account. The blessing of knowing my gift made a difference. Think about that family in Texas that 25 years ago was sending gifts and letters of Jesus' love to a little needy boy in New York City. Do you think they have any idea about the fruit that is now blossoming from that in Easton, Maryland? What? What? They have no idea. But they're going to find out one day when they're in eternity and they see the fruit that increased to their credit. And they go, all I did was plant a little seed. Are you kidding me? Look at all that fruit. They are blessed. It is, you are just as blessed when you give as it is to receive. Look what else he says. He goes, hey, your giving is pleasing to God. Yes, you sent me a gift. My name was written on the two bar of the check. But you need to understand that your gift actually was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to who? To God. And so we think of Old Testament imagery, right? Where we know the Old Testament sacrifices and the offerings. And typically when we think of sacrifices and offerings, we're thinking of like the bloody atonement for the forgiveness of sins. That was only one part of it. There were many other offerings besides atonement because the people of God made it a regular practice of their life to say, God, here is something valuable. I'm giving up something. I'm putting it on the altar. And this is my, de my, my declaration to say, God, it's all yours anyway. You take care of me. And so I don't need to hoard it. I don't need to, to be uh, stingy over here with my stuff. God, I can do more with less because you take care of me, not my money. And so these sacrifices, these offerings, they were demonstrations of faith and reliance and love. And so Paul is saying, yes, your gift was for me, but actually, first and foremost, above and beyond what you're doing for me, your gift is like an offering. It is like a fragrant sacrifice for God, and he's pleased with it. So let's go back to our bank account. We're all here, right? And we collect resources and we pool our money together and we give as the family of God. We don't just give to the church. We give as the church. And why are we doing that? Well, we got to heat the offices. We got to pay for rent. We got to pay for staff. We send teenagers to camp. We buy supplies for children's ministry. We buy vans in Ukraine for missionaries, right? Yes, but it's more than that. We're actually giving to God. When you give here at East Point Church, you are not making a donation to a nonprofit organization. But that's what my tax statement said. I know, like you are, but hear what I'm saying. First and foremost, beyond the donation, you are giving to God. It is a sacrifice to Him. This is between you and Him. What a blessing to know that our giving is pleasing to God. We're blessed when we give. 
We're blessed because, we, because our giving reveals God's care to us, right? If giving is an act of reliance, if giving is a way of saying, God, I trust you, then in that moment when you give, you're blessed. Because in that moment, you will realize that your trust was well-placed. In those moments, you realize that our God will supply every need of yours. In those moments when you give, you realize that what Jesus said was true. Jesus revealed God to be a loving father. He says here, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. When we give, when we trust God with our finances, when we make generous giving a regular part of our lives, we will see that God really is who Jesus revealed him to be. He's a father. He is a father who provides for his family. Have you ever met a generous person? Like, have you ever met like a crazy generous person, right? Like people who give away more than you've ever had in your life. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like crazy generosity. Do you know why they're generous? Do you know why generous Christians are generous? Do you know why people who don't even have a lot of money are still crazy generous? It's because they've learned the secret about money. They've learned that money doesn't take care of them. God does. And so they give generously because they know that God provides for his family. And so they are free to care for others' concerns. They give because they know that they will experience God's care and that they can trust on him. He's the heavenly father who cares for us. And as we experience his provision, we say with Paul, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He takes care of us. He takes care of us. So he says amen. He's getting ready to dry his ink pens here and he's Stretching out his arms, and he's like, man, that was a long letter. That took me 14 weeks to write, you know? Not really. We preached it in 14 weeks. He probably wrote it in a couple of hours. You'll get that later. Anyway, so he's, he's ending the letter, and, and he stands up, and he, and he looks, and he goes, one more thing, one more thing. And he writes the following conclusion. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household." The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Friends, God provides for his family. But as we end the letter, we're reminded of this. The family is bigger than us. The family is bigger than us. He says, hey, all the brothers who are with me, all the sisters, all the Christians who are around me here in prison, they, they give their warmest greetings. They say hello. How many of you know that those Christians in Rome never met the Philippians they never met those people in Greece. They don't know those believers in Macedonia. And yet, when Paul signs off, when he gives his regards, he says, those who are with me greet you. This is not a formality. This is not an empty sign-off. This is not an auto-signature on his email. They are writing these words of warmth. They are writing these words of affection and encouragement because when they hear about other Christians on the other side of the world, they know instinctively they are extended family. They are extended family. You see, we talk about East Point Church, and we always say, hey, here at this church, we are a, we're a family. We know that. And we love our church, don't you? Do you love East Point? 
Do you love the community that God is doing here? But here's what we should do. We should change our website. Because on the website, it's capital E, capital C, East Point Church. But I want to change it on the website to East Point and then church with like a lowercase c. Because as much as we love this faith family, as much as we love this church, we need to realize that East Point Church is just one small local expression of what I call the church, the global capital C church made up of all people in all places, of all languages, in every time period of history who call in the name of the Lord. And so I love our church, but we are lowercase c, one small local expression of the global family of God. And so we have brothers and sisters in Hungary and Ukraine. We have brothers and sisters in Egypt and Sudan. There are those worshiping today in Japan and Malaysia. Same family. Same family, East Point. They are extended family. Those who confess Jesus as Lord, no matter what language they're speaking. Same family. And so I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but growing up, my mom, right, we'd be in a restaurant and, and we'd be whatever. And somehow, like my mom had the look, like she'd be like, and then like, bing, and they would just know, hey, we're both Christians. Like literally my mom ran into Christians all over the place and they'd be at the grocery store. And I was so embarrassed because my mom never met these people in their life. But as soon as they found out that they shared the same Lord, I was like, hey, what's up? What? And I was just like, mom, these are strangers, we don't know these people. And like she's crying with the waitress and she's praying over her before she leaves the restaurant. And I'm like, what is happening here? It's because my parents understood extended family. They understood that the family is bigger than us. What God is doing in this world is so much bigger than the people that are gathering in this particular room in Easton, Maryland. The family is bigger than us. And friends, here's what's so cool. Here's what's so cool. Oh my gosh, church, I'm excited. Here's what's so cool. The family is growing. It's growing. You're like, yeah, there's not a lot of seats here anymore. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, we're growing. Sure, East Point Church is growing, but what I mean is we're growing. The global church is growing. Look what he says here. He says, the brothers who are with me greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The guards in Caesar's household, were responsible for putting Paul in chains and making sure he didn't go preach the gospel. Those in Caesar's household were responsible for putting the kibosh on the mission. And yet we find out that in God's sovereignty, who works all things together for his plans and purposes, that the people responsible for putting the kibosh on the gospel have just become the newest audience members of the gospel. That those who were responsible for keeping him in chains are now counted among his numbers. And they say, hey, tell the Philippians that we greet them because we're also their brothers and sisters now. We believe in Jesus. Friends, the family is growing. We are growing. The global family of God, the movement of Jesus' followers is spreading across the globe. Every single day, people are being added to our numbers. But here's the problem. We watch the news. We see what's happening in Hollywood. Did you see the latest legislation that passed? And we become Eeyore Christians. Right? Oh, man, America's going to hell. If I can just hold on until Jesus comes back. 
And you fail to realize that, yes, we may not have home field advantage, but look at the scoreboard. We're winning. Every day the family is growing, even those of Caesar's household. Next week, 13 people are getting baptized. 13 people are getting baptized. 13 people have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. And as the Holy Spirit has come into their heart, they've been regenerated. And they're in the kingdom of light. Does that not make you excited? It's working. The gospel is birthing faith. And if we don't realize that the family is bigger than us, if we don't have a global perspective to realize that the gospel is working and the family is growing, we just, man, whatever happened to the good old days? We're winning. We're winning. Every week, people are being added to our numbers. I can't wait for Easter, right? Because Easter, people hear the gospel. Yeah. Easter happens every Sunday at East Point Church. Call us Easter Point Church. I don't know. Every week, people are hearing the gospel. Every week, people who are far from God hear the message that he loves us anyway, that he laid down his life, and even though we don't deserve it, he brings us into his family. Every week, people are filling out cards saying, I want more information about following Jesus. Every week in community group, light bulbs are going off as these Bibles are open and people say, I believe and I want to get baptized. Every day, all over this earth, I don't care if it's in in, in underground churches, in in communist countries, or if it's in the, the country out here in Easton. Every day, people are bowing the knee in humility and in repentance, saying, I now live for Jesus family's growing every day, every day. And as they come into the flock, as they come into the fold, they are numbered among us and they know, they find out what we know to be true, that God provides for his family. God provides for his family. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. God, we're so grateful that you saw fit to give us grace and mercy and that you love us. God, we are spiritually poor. We confess that, Lord. There's no pride. There's no pretentiousness, Lord, in our hearts. We needed you, and you came for us, God. You loved us. You saved us through the work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. We are yours, and that will never change. I pray that our contentment would be tied to the never-changing reality of the work of Christ. I pray that our generosity would overflow as we realize that you take care of us, not our money, that we would know that it is better to give than to receive. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would give us this global perspective to realize that the family is growing. Nothing will stop it, Lord. Your kingdom is ever expanding. And one day, Lord, you will recreate earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Your kingdom will be on earth. And the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, Lord, we will say, wow, what started as a seed in Jerusalem, what started as a tiny seed of 12 dudes in the Middle East has consumed the globe because King Jesus reigns. And it's in his name that we pray. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. 
It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.